Bills coming home, folks. Welcome to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard, with you here to talk about the season opener now in Norman. I'm way too excited about this. I apologize. All of our thoughts are obviously with those on the uh, Gulf Coast and everything. But honestly, we got football coming our way. And, you know, I'm excited to go. Um, this is a big week, a big surprise. And uh, let's let's get this thing going. We're we're going to break down Tulane. We're going to break down the OU uh, the OU roster today. Uh, but let's start with the big news, Jameson. Um, how shocked are you to this thing coming? Uh, and who is it that we will be back in the palace on Saturday? It's going to be great. You know, uh, it's you know Western Carolina, great great opening team to play against. But no, not that exciting. Tulane at least has some exciting for a, a home opener. I'm definitely excited about that. Um, but we get the 11 a.m. kickoff to start. So, um, you know, it, everyone's changing their plans last second, but I, I'm thankful that we get one extra home game for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, at the end of the day, it is all, you know, it, it is new football. It is more football. And in a season, and after 2020, I'll take anything we can get for sure. Um, so this is very exciting. Ty, uh, your thoughts on the uh, shift and everything. Are you excited for Saturday? Uh, I am. So it's a, <clears throat> I got two things. I'll just cold take myself. I was kind of looking forward to kind of relaxing, watching an OU game on TV to kind of ease into it. Not that I'm not disappointed at all in what's occurred, uh, but I was looking forward to, you know, us playing down in New Orleans. That would have been neat. Um, also, I'll just hit myself again. I am kind of surprised that it wasn't canceled um, just because the, the nature of what caused it to, to be moved. Um, but, you know, we got to be grateful for what we have. I am super excited for the game. And, and like you guys touched on, it's, it's super neat to have. It's definitely not a marquee matchup, but uh, it's cooler than the, the average home opener for, for OU. So Tulane, still, a, you know, a, a big, big school, big, big team. You know, they make a splash, pun intended. Every year here and there, they got cool uniforms. It'll be a neat, neat school to play and, and neat um, for OU when it comes to recruiting around that area. Yeah, it, I mean they are an American school. They're not a you know FCS uh, situation. So um, this this is a, a bigger opener. But uh, there are a couple notes we have to make. Uh, technically, uh, Tulane is designated as a home team. Uh, they won't have the the angry wave painted on the field, which makes me very sad. Um, but uh, they, there is a chance oh, you might be rolling out in the uh, white away jerseys on Owen Field, which would be very cool. Uh, the only time you see that is on the red-white game. But just a couple bits of information. Um, this evening, uh, we're recording this on Monday, uh, Monday night. This evening, se- uh, season ticket holders will have their chance to buy their tickets. Uh, $30 for just base lower level, which... They're only selling low, lower level in club. Uh, $30 if you're anywhere in the lower level. Uh, $50 for suites and clubs. And students uh, pay $20. So uh, an affordable ticket if you can make it. If the season ticket allotment does not sell out, then we will go straight to... Um, I, I guess there's a sale on Friday, which will be absolute madness. $50, I think, right? Isn't it $50 for that Friday ticket, which is ridiculous, too? And the students will be firing hard in these $20 tickets. The resale market is going to be nuts. I can't even imagine. And think about this. 
This is four straight home games in September. How often does that happen? That is nuts. The where you most people, just like us, will be in Norman for four Saturdays in a row, which is nuts to say out loud. The last time that happened was 2004. So this is a very, very weird, rare scenario. Last year, our fourth fourth home game was Bedlam. So it it is a total 180 for sure. Yeah, we um to to touch on the the tickets. That's kind of kind of ruthless that they're selling uh, the the boxes and suites at fifty, and then also just selling the the general admission whatever else seats also at fifty. I guess it pays to be a a season ticket holder for sure. Um, I got the student tickets still, which is which is nice to write it out. I uh, honestly, it this might I'll just throw it up on myself for the third time already. I kind of like the smaller games you know just the just the lower bowls and night it's a super neat you know it really hammers home how unique of a uh a game this is you know so it's it's definitely you, you know we're living these these sort of you know moving a game for hurricanes not necessarily a once in a lifetime like last year's red river but uh what a time to be to be an ou fan for sure i, I think we're gonna say that all season but uh you know even even last season all the difficulties that we went through and then starting out this season you know already dealing with with some stuff but it's what a time to be an OU fan and I think it's going to be a really really neat atmosphere uh, just because the way it's come up definitely it's it's a surprise it's like found money in a way and uh, Tulane is keeping the majority of the revenue which is incredible uh, great for them and it was just the right thing to do in terms of money you know the the, the green wave have been practicing in Birmingham that was never really going to be an option Uh no one, they wouldn't have made the, they would not have made the gate that they're going to make here. So it, it, it was the right move for Tulane, the right move for Oklahoma. And I'm just happy they're playing football on Saturday because for a moment there, it's looking a little bleak. So I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I can't wait to get back to Norman for sure, even with the reduced capacity. So let's go ahead and we're, we're, going, we're going to break down the roster, but I want to kind of get your thoughts on Tulane themselves. Last year, uh, not a great year. Went six and six, but that six and six was kind of, you know, marred by uh, a lot of choking on their end. They had that. Um, obviously, they lost. They lost to Tulsa after that uh, remarkable hail mary. Uh, they led fourteen nothing going into the fourth quarter. There, they blew a twenty four nothing lead to Navy. So, you know that that that's a that's a two game swing right there. They that they they could have been eight and four if a. Uh, you know they actually close games outright. So is this Tulane? Is this Tulane team actually, you know, somewhat decent, Jameson? I mean, they'll be they'll be more competitive than you know um, Western Carolina. I mean, we can say that without a doubt. Um, but I mean, not too concerning. I don't know too much about the team and what they're returning, all that stuff, and all those details. Um, just because uh, it's OU and we we should handle our business. It doesn't really matter who's returning. Whenever you're talking about a six and six team, is non-power five. So, but yeah, they were a team that they were kind of sneaky last year. They had a couple games that they kept close. Definitely, were paying attention to betting the spread. They were a lot of they were a team that really gave us a headache whenever they did show up in our picks. They would piss me off. Piss me off. They were a team that I wouldn't want to pick because they just were too unstable. So maybe they will have a couple of plays this game um, that will be surprising. They have that in them. They have the return of Michael Jones too. Oh, Michael Jones revenge game. Uh, You're seven they, for Michael. 
Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, they returned 10 starters on offense, six on defense. So at least offensively, a, you know, a seasoned dish team, a pretty solid running back in uh, Ty J Spears, uh, 2020. Uh, Ty, your thoughts on the green wave. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I just had it pulled up. Oh, yeah. So a, an important note on last year, they lost most of their losses. So like you guys said, they were 500 on the year. Um, you know, so 50, 50 win loss. Two of those were in overtime and another two were by less than a touchdown. So, you know, they, the teams they lost to SMU, UCF, Houston, Tulsa, and Nevada, teams that obviously are not on OU's level. But I think you got to think about it relative. I understand, you know, new year, new teams for everyone. But relative to who OU constantly plays in season one, this is a very good team, um, I will say. But, I, you know, it's a, it's a season one game. It's in Norman, and uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't prepared for – so I think even with the the fewer people, I know we're talking about Tulane right now, but the, I think the uh, away, uh, the home field advantage for OU is going to be accentuated by the sort of snap nature of of this game. So t- Tulane, I think, is a, a really good team. I think they're going to give us, uh, you know, in the picks this year, I think they're going to give us trouble like last year. But uh, they're a really good team in terms of a season one opener for OU. So I'm, I'm excited, and I'm excited for, for Tulane fans that they get to come up here and, and play. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you have to kind of balance the fact that yeah, on one end they've been scrambling, you know, this whole week, but on the other end, you know, you you have these, yeah, you know, it's like how we talk about the dead mascot games. When you when a team goes through hardship, I feel like that brings them closer together, makes them focus. They they kind of have a fire under their ass. So uh, Tulane's gonna be playing hard. They've been through it this week. Um, so I, I you know I, I'm looking forward to seeing them. I, I think they're going to get a lot of you know, admiration on our end, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be a situation where there is a lot of, you know, uh, talk about uh, hurricane relief and, you know, they're, they're going to be treated very well as the visitor, not visitors, I guess. So I, I'm excited um, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I just really hope, hope the best for that area. It's one of my favorite uh, places in the world, New Orleans. And, you know, I, I, there, there are resilient people who have bounced back far too many times. It's just, it's, it's not fair that they have to do it. But you know, Louisiana, they, they just don't complain about it. They just get back up, pick up, pick up, get back up off the canvas, and you know, they're they're fighters for sure. Yeah, and I, I will say for for Tulane before we move on to OU, uh, they they have a a rough schedule for them this year. They they go and uh, play some random team right after us, the Morgan state bears, uh, who I think is a extra from Friday night lights, but then they, they roll into Oxford, um, in two weeks and they got to play Ole Miss and they got to go to, to North Carolina. Um, they're playing Houston at home. That one's going to be rough. They got to go to Dallas to play SMU. They're playing Cincinnati. Who's the top 10 team right now. And then they have to go to Orlando to play UCF. Um, and those are the teams that they, they really got, uh, beaten by last year. So, it's going to be a rough year for, for Tulane. Um, so props to them for, for sticking to it and, and coming to, to, to Norman to play is not, not an easy thing. And, you know, they didn't have to. So no matter, no matter how the game goes, you know, props to them for going through some stuff and, and coming out here to, to play. I know it's a business thing as well, but. For sure. I, I will ask <clears throat> Morgan state. I wonder if they're more or less real than uh, Bishop Sycamore is, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. Shout out! Yeah, so 
that is the wildest story I've I've seen. I we we had to touch on it a little bit. Have you all heard about those, this guy? All, I I have not, but I know that both of both of those schools are much realer than the uh, the three team conglomerate that is uh, fictitious and commonly known as Purdue Vandy Wake Forest. Those don't exist. Yeah, There's no so, proof that they exist. No one's ever seen them in person. Jameson, no, I'm sure you've, you've, you've have you been following Bishop Sycamore. No, I actually haven't, but I'm just oh. laughing because this is a cyclical thing. Because last year, Missouri State was this fake team that wasn't actually anyone, and here we go again with Morgan State. You know why not? Just throw in just another very similar team. Okay, <laughs> Ty, Ty just is like, no, screw Missouri State. I I think he called them three or four different names throughout the whole season in reference to our. I kept calling them Montana State. Yep, definitely, <laughs> which was from like the year prior. <laughs> Something like that. I thought yeah. we had a. I thought we had just a, like not a home and home, but just a a double home in Norman against the same team. I didn't know it was two different teams. Okay, so I, I got I got to just touch on this Bishop yeah. Sycamore thing. So this is so IMG Academy. If you know who they are, obviously Jameson does for sure because of I know, you know, I know. a lot of it's a lot of crude quarters. High school, best high school football team in America. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they they played a, a team called Bishop Sycamore on Sunday. Well, the problem with Bishop Sycamore, apparently they're not a real high school. They are. Uh, they have. They faked their way onto ESPN. They're. They're a group of ex JUCO players who are <laughs> pretending to be high schoolers who who played IMG Academy and lost fifty eight to nothing. Uh, and it slowly came out that they, just this morning, people are like, "Wait a second. This high school doesn't exist, and they also, for some reason, played a game on Friday night as well. They played two games in three days. They're like, "What's going on with this?" They don't, don't they jump deeper into it. Their their coach has a warrant out for his arrest, uh, and, and the team the team is just apparently just completely not real. Oh my god, dude, that's amazing. The funniest yeah. thing about that is they lost fifty eight to zero. <laughs> they're yeah. all former college football players. They're they're all adults. They're still lost. They just <laughs> oh, to oh. a bunch of seventeen sixteen. That is legitimately oh. amazing. That's like literally a plot line from like Blue Mountain State. Like there I could see there being an episode where someone's ruled ineligible because they went to a not real high school and they turn out <laughs> to be forty years old. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is just, that, that is quite a story right there for sure. And it's, it's, it's just tailor made for the scooter pod. That is I also got to think IMG probably do. And they're like, let's just go roast them anyway. So we just need opponents. No one wants to play us to begin with. Everyone Did the game actually us. occur? Oh yeah. No, it, it went on. on so it, it was played yesterday. So the, the question is before we move on, do you think that, cause this is plausible with IMG. Do you think that IMG just, legitimately blew them out or do you think that there are people that are out there just to like take hits and and do whatever and and pad people's stuff because it, it sounds to me like it it potentially a hey if you give us you know 20 grand a game we'll roll into town and we'll play you guys and let you guys you know blow us up i mean maybe because they i mean that was their second game in three days I think they might just be riding around to different high schools and getting beaten up. That's the type of-, of team that OU typically plays week one, to be fair. Here, here's the funniest thing is the name. What bishop would be named Sycamore? <laughs> that makes no sense. There's no bishop that would ever be named Sycamore. Yeah, and so I clicked on the CBS Sports article, and the, the ninth word of the article told me everything I needed to know. Uh, and for 
for everyone that's not looking at this, which is everyone but me, the ninth word in that article is Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's just, it's wild. It is absolutely wild. But uh, all right, let's talk about OU. Unfortunately, yes, um, we have to move on from that. We have to get, (laughs) let's get down to business. I had, I had to drop in. I got to say there, the second most searched thing is, is there a GoFundMe page to help Bishop Sycamore? (laughs) (laughs) Most Googled thing, which is amazing because they're also trying to scam people. (laughs) I I think they probably have, have somehow worked the, uh, worked like the search engine, uh, optimization where it's like, we need help, help Bishop Sycamore, please. Wait a a second. There is a GoFundMe. They had a GoFundMe (laughs) saying, help us. We're trying to start a football team. Oh, that's <laughs> no. I love oh, that. God. Okay, this is this is really good. <laughs> Honestly, this probably deserved its own podcast. Uh, but anyways, let's dive in. It's time for our roster breakdown. We do this every year, and we have to start with the offense and uh, a short discussion on the quarterback, uh, Spencer Radler. Uh, obviously, there, there's Caleb Williams uh, as the second stringer and our, our guy. Uh, What's his name? I, I keep wanting to call our, our our third stringer Rusty. So I'm just going to call him Rusty. Rusty Rucker. R- Rusty Rucker. Rusty Rucker. Rusty Griswold. Rust, yeah, R- old Rusty is out there, you know, slinging the ball around. But um, I think we have to touch on this because uh, there, there's – I feel like there are too many fans out there who are like, I don't know about Spencer Radler. He seems like he has an attitude problem. He, he, you know, he's not quite there yet. He, he turns the ball over too much. And – I, I think we got to set the record straight. Spencer Rattler is a really good quarterback. Because people like, got people got tunnel vision from that Texas game. Because these, there's some fans out here. I saw some gooner that I sent in our text group saying that Caleb Williams should be the starter, and Spencer Rattler was a joke. And Tanner Mordecai, of course, he won the job because if you had a, a SMU, because if you had stayed, he'd have been the quarterback for OU. Like, what is going on here? Did you only pay attention to the game where they held out Spencer, which completely changed the whole mantra for the rest of the season, where we kicked ass the whole season with Spencer, and he was making balls, throwing balls to wide receivers who were dropping them over and over in Theo East and Austin Stogner, where Spencer Rattler's stats would have been even better if he had had his wide receivers catching the ball. It is absolutely ridiculous to think that the Heisman Trophy odds-on favorite should not be a starter. And I understand that's just one Gunner's thought. But still, people believe in Spencer because there's no better quarterback in, in CAA right now, and it's not even close. Sam Howell is the next argument, and I'm sorry. He only got hyped because he put North Carolina up into competitiveness, but still they're getting disrespect because he's not that good of a quarterback. He's a good quarterback. You know, he could be a first round quarterback, but he's not a number one overall in the draft kind of guy like Spencer Rattler is going to be. Yeah. He, he's just a solid QB, but, but Rattler, I mean, he's, I, I don't want to use the comparison, but he is the closest thing to like a Pat Mahomes in the, in the, in college football right now. Uh, the, the accuracy, the arm strength, it's, you know, he, he is just a, a, a perfect quarterback right now. And I, I think he's going to take a leap. You've heard a lot in uh, camp and everything about how he knows the offense a little bit better. Everything's been running smoother. Um, he's been able to make audibles on the fly a little bit better. Uh, and you know, here's the thing. This is his first true, like true fall camp had a true summer, a, a, a true spring. You know, he, he didn't really have that last year due to COVID, so I, I I think he's going to be a much improved quarterback this year, and that's crazy considering how great he was towards the end of the year. Yeah, no, I I think uh, I I think I'm not going out on a limb at all to say that 
of the three of us, I'm the most in tune with the Gooners. I, I was one for a little bit. Uh, still am a little bit in the head. I, just the fact that I'm a student prevents me from not being one. So I think I understand why they're saying that. Um, and it's it's the spring game. Because in the spring game, what we saw was Rattler at like 20% speed and effort. If that, they, like he clearly was being held back by Lincoln Riley play call and effort wise, and also just individually. Um, and then we saw, I would, I would dare to say, because he's right out of high school, <clears throat> I would dare to say that we saw close to 90% effort, if not more from Caleb Williams. So if you only watch the spring game and you weren't aware, you know, you didn't have any context to that, you were just, you know, looking through tunnel vision at the spring game. I think it would be very easy to take away the thought that Rattler thinks he's amazing, doesn't want to put any effort in, thinks he's going to coast to everything, isn't that good, and that Caleb Williams is all that. Because we saw Caleb Williams going, you know, really high effort and Rattler very clearly, you know, like he he was lower than coasting. And it's not a bad thing. It was clearly intentional, you know, by uh, Lincoln Riley is wearing a defense shirt <laughs> and coaching him. So, um I, th- I think I can see where those takes are coming from. I don't think that they're as ridiculously gooner as some takes are. I think they're cold takes, but I can see where people are getting that. And, and I hope, you know, if anyone is thinking that, uh, like you guys have said, I would not be worried about uh, Rattler at all. I know he is a little bit, um, you know, more more cocky maybe than we're, we're used to. Because if you go back with, with OU quarterbacks, we really haven't had a – a cocky dude in probably decades, you know. I can't, I can't think of one. Baker, I can't think of a Baker, single cocky quarterback who he's ever okay, had. Yeah, you got Baker, but like Baker won the Heisman. So, and he was, you know, constantly chippy, constantly the the underdog for stuff he wasn't expected to. But I mean, you go back, like, you know, Kyler was the most soft spoken dude ever. And then Trevor Knight and Landry Jones and, and Sam Bradford and, and everybody else. So um, I, I understand Baker, but it's he wasn't in the same position is what I'm saying. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with the takes on Rattler and I, I'm not worried one bit about his, his performance. I, I think he is the best. I, I think the second best is probably Bo Nix. Why it's Gooner. You say it's not that Gooner. And for people who are just now listening to us or haven't heard this, thoughts, Gooner is, you know, your typical OU fan who has a burner twinner, that does not actually have himself as his profile picture. And he's like got a picture of like, you know, Bosworth or something. And his name's like sooner bread 26 or something like that. Like that's that you, everyone knows. And he obviously didn't graduate from OU and all this stuff. You know, if you didn't graduate from OU, you're OU fan. That's cool. But don't go and make some anonymous Twitter account and just talk to high school athletes. That's a good one. Um, what I'm trying to get at here is taking into the red and white game as some kind of like statistic or barometer for who should be the better quarterback is ridiculous because Caleb Williams was running around and nobody was even trying to touch him. And the majority of the reason why he looked good is because he was scrambling hard. Like, you're kidding me? Like, come on now. Yeah, yeah. So it is Gooner, but like on the spectrum of Gooner takes that are out there, 
it's not far to one side. What's like worse, it's, it's, it's on the level of the fire. It's, it's on the level of like fire Lincoln Riley after we lose one game during the regular season, calling into the sports animal. No, I think it's that level. That's absurd. Saying that, saying that fire Lincoln Riley takes are at the same level of the spectrum as spring game based quarterback takes is absurd. But you're saying it's actually fire. They're saying fire Spencer Rattler. Essentially, is what they're saying. I mean, really. Like they're they're saying bench rattler and the same thing as fire Lincoln Riley. I think that is okay. extremely similar. So I was I was misunderstanding. I thought we were talking about people believing in whether or not there was a quarterback battle. I didn't oh, think I, I, think I didn't know legitimately if you're talking about people saying that we should fire rattler, then yeah, I agree with you. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. People yeah, it's it just a better quarterback than him. That's ridiculous. It, it's it's definitely not the biggest issue OU has on offense. And for that, let's talk about uh, – let's segue to the running back position where last week we talked about how the, that room was very thin, and now it's basically anemic at this point uh, because Trey Bradford left because he, I guess, definitely not colluded with LSU. Uh, and that leaves OU with two scholarship running backs, which I know a lot of people are, are trying to spin it as like, oh, like we've had, you know – good players step up in the past, you know, look at, you know, Dominique Whaley. Remember him? He was at a subway, but here's the thing. That is an outlier. That is a rare situation. You can't just point to Dominique Whaley and be like, this will happen all the time. It's a, it's a tough situation. And OU is going to have to be very, very careful with how they use their backs because one injury can completely submarine that, uh, the running back room. Um, so Jameson, what's your take? on everything how dire is this situation it's in college you know it's very concerning especially for a team like OU that likes to play three deep running backs and we've always been kind of frustrated about this in the past because you know for example there'd be times where you'd say like why is Brennan Clay getting so many carries we should not be spreading the the ball why is Chris Brown getting so many carries if you want to go back a little bit like like yeah they're competent but we should be giving the ball to our number one backs um comes down to now where uh, we don't even have that as an option, and um, we're going to have to play two at the top. And I'm really concerned about Kennedy Brooks and his conditioning and how he's been treated in the preseason. Over the spring and the summer, they have been keeping him, you know, not blue shirt, but maybe um, putting a cap on his helmet and trying not to touch him much. He didn't play, you know, really at, at all, barely, you know, in the red-white game. And then, um, you know, he – I don't know how football ready he is because as soon as he gets in the games, he get hits over and over and over because he has to as a number two or number one running back. Is he going to get hurt? The body is not ready for it. We've seen this with a lot with athletes that take a year off. They're more susceptible to injury. So I, I think it's a matter of when if Kennedy Brooks gets dinged up. I'm not saying he's going to go tear his ACL, break his leg, but soft tissue injuries like hamstring or groin or getting bruised up is very possible for a guy who hasn't been playing competitive football for the past year and a half. I think the big conversation that we want to lead into this as well is who is going to be the starter number, the back on the first drive. Is that going to be Eric Gray or Kennedy Brooks? We talked about it in the preseason. 
that I liked Eric Gray's tape so much, and I said I wanted to go out and let him make a bold take that I think Eric Gray is going to get the start over Kennedy Brooks, and I think that he's a better running back moving forward. And I think right now it's looking pretty clear. And, I, I mean, I can still see Kennedy Brooks going out for the first drive, but I think the way we've heard about how good Eric Gray has been playing in the scrimmages, breaking off long runs, doing really well, and we've been protecting Kennedy Brooks, I would not be surprised to see Eric Gray as our primary number one running back. Yeah, I, I think of the two, if I had to pick one to be better, I think it's definitely Eric Gray. Uh, I apologize. My dog is losing her absolute shit in the background. Uh, I definitely think Gray's probably probably has an edge on Brooks. And in terms of football shape, the only way to get in football shape really is to get action, uh, get game action. And sitting out a year, that, that just means you have less time away from the – the more time you have away from the field, the – the harder it is to get back. And that's going to be an issue for, for Brooks. So maybe easing him back, leaning on Eric Gray might be the move here. But uh, Ty, your thoughts on Gray versus Brooks? Yeah, so I, I think one, um, the the dude that is the, this I think this is going to sound weird initially, but I think the dude that is the, the main or the best running back might not be the guy getting the most carries and it might not be the dude going out there first. Um, and, and I think the, the way you have to think about running backs, especially with, with Lincoln Riley's offense, in my opinion, um, is much more akin to how you would think about a, a baseball pitcher. You know, your best pitcher might not be your, your opener. He might not be the guy, you know, that's, that's uh, out there at the start of every game. Uh, and I think that that's, that's maybe reasonable with, with running backs. I think, of the two, if we're looking at Brooks and Gray, I, I think that Gray has serious potential to be a serious NFL running back, um, which, you know, I think I think that statement should speak for itself. Um, I'm not saying that Kennedy Brooks doesn't, uh, but, you know, he, like you guys talked about, he, he has been out, and that can affect a, a running back, especially, you know, you're a high-volume, you know, guy there at, at running back. You're taking hits constantly. Uh, you're delivering hits and, and you're having to really, really put in effort. If you're not running the ball, you're blocking and you're really grinding on, on every play. So I can see Eric Gray being our main guy. I expect him to be our main guy. Um, but I can see us trying to conserve him because of that. But I think there's a, a very interesting situation for, for Riley and the coaching staff and for um, for everyone to, to decide because I, I don't know that we really want to risk Kenny Brooks that much either if he's if he's questionable you know we don't want to burn him out either so that's uh that's where it, that's that's where it matters uh that we have these very highly paid coaches very skilled coaches these are these are the challenges that that really separate the coaches that are guys that get an elite job and can kind of perform from the guys that are truly elite in and of themselves is if you can manage the sort of economy of of personnel or this this uh, personnel management and, and load management here so i think that i don't i don't like OU being in this situation i don't think it's as bad of a situation as everyone expects i expect kennedy brooks to come out there and really surprise everyone and i think eric gray is going to be uh i think he's going to be amazing especially in OU's offense with OU's line um so i i'm not as worried as as a lot of other people are but I'm excited as a fan of the game to see how our our strategic plan is at the running back because I think it is very interesting and this is where it really matters. 
that we have these really good, really elite, really highly paid coaching staff. I think it's going to be really cool to see what they, they throw out there. Yeah, absolutely. And James, I want to ask you real quick, because you can't just have those two guys. Who else would you have get touches? Maybe a little Jeremiah Hall action, you know, Weatherman Jay, Jaden Knowles is uh, an option back there. Not a lot of great options, but who would you go with? Yeah, um, I think Jaden Knowles, just the way he showed in in the um, red versus white game, uh, he he was definitely interesting with getting a touchdown, and obviously he's been getting a lot of, you know, publicity in the news, especially Lincoln Riley talking about him and him being the meteorologist of um, OU. Um, but, you know, he's not the only guy. Jeremiah Hall, I, I'm not ready to say he's going to come in like Dimitri Flowers because I don't think he had some carries in the past, but he's nothing to where I think, um, you know, we'd be that desperate. You know, we've shown that our, our walk-ons with Jaden Knowles, he's, he looked like he's competent and he had a very good high school career. Like he – and he just didn't get D1 offers. Like the guy has talent. We also have Todd Hudson. If you remember him, he's played a lot in the past in these past couple of seasons. If you're watching Scrap Time, who is that five foot seven tiny running back who come in and just scrap for extra yards at the end of games? Todd Hudson was that and was a guy that, you know, was decent. So I, I'm not ready to say that um, we're going to get many halfback carries um, moving forward. I think we'll give um, the walk ons a chance first. I, I, I like, uh, like Jaden Knowles as, as well. Uh, like you said, Jameson, Jaden Knowles is also listed at 5'7", which means he's potentially even 5'6", uh, but he's listed at 197, uh, which it means that he's at least in the 190s, uh, which puts him as the the, the bulkiest dude by far. Uh, the other guys that are heavier than him are significantly taller. Um, so I think that I think that, that could be a, a factor if we're talking about just throwing someone out there, you know, to be uh, not necessarily cannon fodder, you know, because he's running back, but a dude that we can put out there and, and reliably manage some load, uh, especially if we're just talking about hand uh, handoffs, nice. you know, through the middle and, and to get hit. I could see us going with the the biggest dude, and and I think that's Jaden Knowles just based on the stats. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing. Just a just a guy to kind of help out a little bit. Um, again, he is a little stockier, but you know, as we've seen with Ramondre Stevenson, that that can be okay. So. Overall, we'll see how it plays out. Maybe there's another guy who will show up that we have never seen before. Another, um, you know, an- another surprise. OU is full of them. So let's move on from probably one of the weaker, one of the weaker sides of the <laughs> offense to probably one of the best. The wide receivers talk about a deep, uh, just crop of wide wideouts. Uh, it, it is hard to pick one that might be the best. But let's start with uh, probably, in my opinion, the biggest question for that uh, wide receiver group. Jameson, I think this is going to be a big back bounce back year for Jen, for Jaden Hazelwood. Yeah, that's that's the big key. Um, we didn't get to see much of him in his optimal form at the end of the season because he returned from ACL injury very quickly. And I told you all whenever we were coming back, we're going to see a lot of straight routes and we're going to see a lot of him jumping well but I don't know how well we're going to see him, you know, making cuts um, in the red and white game. You know, he got open um, in his big time plays. We're catching and making, you know, you just got mossed plays. Um, but we need to see more of him in slant routes. We need to see more of him testing that lateral mobility on that knee. Has he gotten over it mentally? The majority of these recoveries with how medicine is right now in ACL is a lot of the mental part. 
and is he running confidently with 100% of his effort? And it seems like he's been doing really well in spring, but every single practice, I mean, every single report that people have talking about how they did in spring is whenever they did great. They looked amazing. Even no one ever says someone looked bad. So let's actually see it with a real eyes. Wide receiving crew has a lot of people looking to prove something. You know, Jane Hazelwood's going to come out and say, I was the number one wide receiver in this class. I'm a superstar. I'm a number one, you know, first round pick kind of talent, which he should have been. You know, Theo Weiss, can Theo actually catch the ball and get over, you know, the drops? Huge question. And if he gets over the drops, I think he could be the number one guy in this system. You know, Marvin Mims, can he continue with what he's been doing? You know, is he just a one-hit wonder freshman because there was so much crap going around with our wide receiving core last year to where he was the only solidarity? Is he actually Blendikoff kind of guy? Or is he just getting overhyped just because he was a freshman and his PFF grades were so high? There's a lot, a lot of questions, but plenty of talent that I'm not worried about. Absolutely. And I'd like to play a little bit of a game here. I'm going to call it overhyped, underhyped. And I'm going to name off a wide receiver. And you tell me if they're over or underhyped. Let's go, let's go. Oh, this like sounds this. fun. I'm I'm ready for it. Uh, let's start out with an easy one. Marvin Mims, overhyped, underhyped, Jameson. Over. Over? Uh, tie over, under. Uh, mark my words. Marvin Mims might not go to the ceremony, will receive Heisman votes this year, period. I think he is underhyped. I think it is, spoiler alert, I think he's going to be our main receiver. I think we're going to show out on offense. And I think that because of our inherent sort of weakness at, at the running back and our strength at the quarterback, Marvin Mims is going to show out this year and, and it's going to be his show in the receiver court. Let me, let me defend myself before you go in, Bobby. I'm not saying Marvin Mims is going to be a bust. I'm not saying that at all. I just think there's so many targets in this wide receiving core that if you do see some solidarity and actually catching the ball in Theo, that will give Spencer Rattler some confidence. And then Jaden Hazelwood plus Stogner being healthy. I think that Marvin's going to have those plays where he goes over the top, but he's going to be playing a lot in the slot this year. And can he turn into a guy in the slot that is a Belindikoff winner? I understand all the analytics say that he was so great, um, but I just don't see the target share for uh, Marvin Mims to get all this hype like Devontae Smith got in the past. I, so I don't, I don't disagree with Jamison. I, it's going to become more clear when we touch on the other receivers here. I don't disagree with Jamison about Mims specifically because it is very diluted and Mims had very, very, very high expectations. So for me to say that he is underrated, that's borderline ridiculous. It, it is by far the safest bet to say that he's overrated because his expectations were, you know, star level, superstar high. Um, so I don't disagree with Jameson about Mims. It's when we get into the other receivers, that's going to be clear where Jameson and I disagree here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, next up, we got uh, a freshman, Mario Williams, overhyped, underhyped, Jameson. Here's the problem with that. It depends who you're talking. If you're talking about the people that are on message boards leading all these things, he's about normal hyped. But if you're talking about just your average OU fan, it's absolutely underhyped because I think the way that they've been talking about it, he's just been cooking people in this preseason. He's looking like a guy who should be getting playing time over some of these older wide receivers. He's going to be really special for time to come. He just gets off the line, separates, and will get you yards. Think Sterling Shepard, young season, where he would just get in. he gets you catches, get you yards, and have some flashy plays. I, think, I honestly think that's what I, we're going to see from him this season. A proper hype sort of deal. 
Okay, uh, Ty, overhype, underhype. I, I concur with Davison. I think it's a draw here, and I, I, I will say um, that the the dilution factor will probably affect him more as a as a freshman. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a breakout star for sure. I, I think he might be. It's just because he's a freshman. That's the only reason he would be underhyped. But those who know, they know. Um, next up, not a wide receiver, but kind of a wide receiver. Austin Stogner, overhyped, underhyped, Jameson. I say underhyped. Um, whenever he was in his prime and he wasn't actually, you know, struggling with his catching, which is minimal, not Theo East level, um, he was Spencer's favorite target. Um, that was kind of Spencer's in the first half of the season, his, you know, safety blanket. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of stuff that obviously went at the end of the season whenever he went out in the Kansas game due to the um, getting a bacterial infection and his muscle due to the trauma. You know, there's a lot that happened with him, and it's curious to see how he responds from that. Um, but, you know, this isn't the same of an injury as, you know, you broke your leg and you knew you made that cut on the football field, and that's what made you lose a bunch of weight and a bunch of muscle. You know, he got hit, but the act, there was no kind of snap. There was no kind of tear. Um, I think he should be good to go moving forward. I don't think he's going to be like a Mackey Award guy. He definitely could be because um, I don't know too much about um, other than Charlie Kolar's dominant tight ends this year. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I really like Stogner, and I think he's going to be a guy that um, can be a safety blanket for Spencer. Definitely. And, you know, until his injury, he was – he was pretty good. He, he had a couple drops, but I think overall a, a, a very good target for uh, Rattler. Ty, overhyped, underhyped? Uh, concur with Jamison, under. Uh, he is I, – I think Jamison touched on the quarterback. I'm not going to touch on that. Um, he didn't touch on Lincoln Riley and Lincoln Riley's playbook. We we really value those sort of sneaky tight end and then fullback uh, plays to really use the full spectrum of, of uh, assets that we have out there on the offense. I think that – he, like Jameson said again, it's not one of those uh, medical things that gets in your head and, and you're worried about, oh, my God, like, am I going to go out there and, and ruin my career? You know, it was a, a freak thing and, and everything else. Um, and then another way he's underhyped, nobody knows this. This is a Schooner Pod exclusive. That boy can code. I will tell you that. I sat next to him in a MIS class for, for however long a semester is. And uh, my man knows SQL and, and, and databases and everything else. So shout out to him. I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to admit any sort of academic mix, misconduct, but uh, shout out to Austin Stogner uh, and uh, Tanner Mordecai, uh, if you guys remember who that is, uh, for helping me pass uh, MIS. I'm just saying, you know, Spencer Rattler can't code. Yeah. No, no I know for a fact. Spencer Rattler can't code, Paul. Spencer can't even get to class on time. That's so uh, that's an say, OU quarterback tradition, though. I watched Baker Mayfield get called out for being late to class and then just not show up for the rest of the year. <laughs> incredible, incredible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Dariel one time. Uh, well, tried I mean, to buy him a, Dariel definitely tried to buy Baker a shot at Logies the Thursday night before we lost to Iowa State in 2017. So that's a life lesson right there. You don't you don't show up on time to class. Next thing you know, you're living in Cleveland. So <laughs> right there, students. Don't Do you want to end up in Ohio? That's how you end up in Ohio. Uh, anyways, all right. One final overhyped underhype. Drake Stoops. Jameson. 
over just because of his last name. I think he's very good. I think he has good hands. I think he's more talented than people give him for. People hype him up just because he's the fanboy. He's, you know, every team needs this, whether this, you know, in any sport. It's once he goes in, everyone loves him. That's just the hype. But I'm saying the talent, you know, I think that people need to give him more respect for who he is because I think from what um, we heard, even though he was a walk-on, he would have gotten an offer from OU just from all the tape that they saw on him saying that he could be a productive player, but they just gave him the walk-on because his dad gets some free tuition anyways, and it saved him a scholarship spot. He's on scholarship right now, and there's a reason for it. And I think that he is talented, but definitely overhyped just because of all of the fanboying. I, you know, I, I think I'll go a little overhyped. Uh, very, very, very good player. I, I wonder if there's really that much of a spot for him out there uh, this year, I, but Hell, we've been wondering that for his entire here and he's his entire time here and he's been producing very, very well. So I'm I'm gonna go just slightly over. Um in terms of all of OE's wide receivers, I, I I don't know if he cracks the lineup if you're if you're going for the best, but he will absolutely produce this season. Ty over underhyped. As as respectfully and with as much reverence as possible, I have to say over only because people know about him now and he gets that hype because of his dad. Um, But I I will say, and I want to say before we move on, like you guys touched on, he, you can argue that, you know, anything because of his dad, but his dad did not get him play time in legitimate game. Like Drake Stoops gets legitimate game time play. I'm not talking about like garbage time. We're up by 45. Every team has their like, practice squad out there and the coaches or the former coach's son is out there. Like Drake Stoops is playing in competitive games when it's close. He has the only thing he has against him is his height. He has the skill. He absolutely has the knowledge. Um, and, and, you know, growing up at, at OU potentially maybe more than, than anyone else on, on that squad. He, he is, you know, tr- tr- tremendous football player, but I think, because of his dad, he gets that hype and he gets those, you know, like 15 yard catches and everyone's going scoops. So I, I think I have to say this year he's overhyped. He was underhyped when people didn't know about him and people assumed he was there because of his dad. But yeah, over. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, he was literally there like the first year Stoops was uh, in, at OU at, in 1999. There's a picture of him and his brother Isaac as literal infants on the field. So. He, he has grown up in Norman he, uh, as, as close as it gets. So overhyped, but not that overhyped. Uh, he, he, he's definitely earned a lot of the hype. I just think it, it's really just a sign of how deep the wide receiving core is. Yeah, he's, uh, he's earned it. It's, he was on a career scale. He's been under. For sure. For sure. Uh, let's keep this thing a moving. We have not even gotten to the defense yet. So we're going to touch on the offensive line. And frankly, it's been a bit of a b- big mystery as to what it's going to look like. Uh, Bill Beanbow has kind of kept this thing close to his vest. Um, you know, obviously missing, um, not having Adrian Ely and Creed Humphrey, big steps, big cornerstones that are missing from this O-line, but you have to kind of trust Bill Beanbow to put together a good line. Uh, biggest questions, who's going to be center and how we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the transfers later, but Jameson, uh, who do you got at that center position? 
Yeah, let's just 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 hit the whole offensive line as a whole. Yep, let's do it uh, because let's do it. because you know we're running long. Andrew Rame, I think pretty much. I I don't know if it's already been announced, but I'm pretty sure it's well known within the community that he has won the center position. Um, they've been saying it for a while that his intelligence is so he's so talented that it was just a matter of time. Um, we thought Chris Murray would be a guy that had that on lock. They liked him so much and they wanted him on the field, but it looks like they wanted him and Rame on the field. And it looks like Murray's going to move over to that right guard. So therefore, that now the right guard is taken. That's going to push Tyrese Robinson from the right guard position out to the right tackle because they also have to keep Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes on the field as well because they're also talented guys who've been there for a really long time. So now that makes it where there's only one left tackle position, one starting tackle position left, and that's between Anton Harrison, the now sophomore, and played some starting snaps at freshman last year and the Tennessee transfer of Wanya Morris. Wanya Morris is definitely more talented than Anton Harrison. Anton Harrison's a huge athlete and showed that. And we saw that with his PFF grades and, you know, QB pressures allowed, why he was so much better than Swenson, but still didn't get the respect. I think that shows you how much Bo cares about you have to know my system and all the little intricacies. I don't care how good you are, but if you do everything the way I want you out there, that is better than you and how talented you are at that position, which makes me think that Anton Harrison will get the starting left tackle job over Wanya Morris because Wanya is still learning the system and looks like from reports that are going around that he is doing decent, but not to the level of Anton Harrison of picking up the offensive line me- mechanisms. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about our lines, you know, and you know, there's a reason why the often the, the there's the one of the best trophies for offensive line outside of, uh, you know, you know the Remington, is uh, you know, the, the the team award where they pick it up because as, if if one guy in the O line is bad, then the entire line is bad. Everyone has to do their part. Everyone has to work with the system, or else the whole thing falls apart. So. The offensive line, you know, like like you like you said, scheme matters, and listening to Beaton Bow, who obviously is one of the best in the business, that is the move right there for sure. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he spins up, what he got, he has going. Uh, Ty, any thoughts on the line before we move yeah, on? Only line take is that uh, we are we're super super lucky to have uh, Beaton Bow at OU. Still, I he is, I think in. Any level of football, currently the best line coach there is, hands down. He definitely has the flexibility to, to go anywhere. Um, and I think we are super, super, super lucky to have him from recruiting to development to execution, which are the you know by far the big three pillars of college football. He's he's excellent, and I think that you know I I not really a line guy, don't really know, uh, but I I trust whatever he's putting out there one thousand percent. Absolutely. As do I. Uh, Let's move on to the other side of the ball and uh, let's move on to the other line. Honestly, the defensive line has always been the focal point of the kind of the bigger issues with OU's defense. But last year, as we saw with the incredible Ronnie Perkins, uh, as well as, you know, Nick Benita, Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas and uh, Perion Winfrey, who all three of those return. um, Things are changing at OU. And it looks to be like this defensive line is going to be the core of OU's uh, national championship run, particularly on defense. Um, Jamison, is that the case? Is is this D-line going to be the difference maker 
for the defense this year. 100%. If you throw in Nick Benito as a guy that plays on the D line, I understand he's kind of part of the linebackers as a rushbacker, but let's just throw him in. That, that, those first four guys are going to be huge. I think also what really helps is we feel very confident and guys, you know, were like eight to 10 deep that we could put them out there and do really well. At the DN position, Isaiah Thomas should be filling in. He played both that and tackle last year. He's a guy who shows versatility. At the D tackle, Jalen Redmond can go in there, play a couple snaps, not have to play all the time. We can put in a little Ron Stokes behind him or slide Isaiah Thomas over. At the nose tackle, Perry on Winfrey is the kind of guy that can come out this season and make a huge name just from his body type and the height that he got where he could get in the backfield extremely easy. If he finishes the plays in the backfield, he will be one of the best D tackles in football this year. And lastly, you know, Nick Benito, um, people, analysts love him around the nation. People are calling him one of the most underrated college um, football players this season and a future first round pick. Can he continue that in all of those numbers? I think so. In this Grinch system, the guy who's on the rush always looks good because his goal is to get the football no matter what. He doesn't have to worry about anything. And Benito shows that he can do that. We are extremely deep. You know, Reggie Grimes can come in and play on the end. I already mentioned Laron Stokes. Joss Elson at the nose tackle. Marcus Stripling can also come and play at the rush. Clayton Smith, the new freshman, he can also come and play at the rush. And there's just more names I can keep on going. We have plenty and plenty of guys in this D-line. We're stacked at the front, very, very talented, and some great depth. And, and that the D-line is so key to the, to the speed D system because it – relieves so much pressure on your quarterbacks and your secondary because if you're if you're having to make the quarterback make snap decisions always having pressure in your face that's that's huge and i i gotta say it's a great great d-line love perry on winfrey love nick benito but the guy i have circled isaiah thomas my guy put up some big stats last year eight sacks i believe on uh the season in 2020 uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of star power on that uh, on that D line, and, and Thomas is just kind of like kind of overshadowed a bit. I, I could see him having a massive year, and he's kind of he he's the, the depth is what separates it. It's not just one guy that 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 is wrecking things. It is a full unit, and I'm pumped. Uh, Ty, who's your standout on the D line this year? I I think I, I'm gonna have to go. It's gonna sound kind of goonery. I'm gonna have to go the entire D line, just because not about not just how we're talking about it, but how, if you go and look at really any media that, that really covers OU in depth, like they, they know what they're talking about. This is the first year. And I can't even think of how long where we're talking about a D line that we're not just hoping that it's good enough. Like we're talking about a D line that there's higher expectations and, and an expectance for them to to really be able to perform on a national level, and that's the key. Like it's, I and I don't want to sound you know disrespectful to to the other teams, but within the Big Twelve, just having a high power offense is generally enough. Um, but that's where really OU has been has been failing, especially in in the D line and and being able to be just really gritty and and uh, hard nose on defense when it comes to the postseason when we're playing teams that aren't of the Big 12. And I think that that's really going to become key for us uh, here, more so than the cornerbacks, more so than, than you know, the secondary and, and the linebackers and everything else. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's about when you get to playoff time, 
having the physicality to exert your will against these these top tier O linemen, uh, you know, because it, it it just is harder to move past SEC O linemen. And like you said, that that whole unit has to be good, has to be intense. I, I think they will. Let's move on to the linebackers a bit. So, if you kind of look at, especially if you don't count Benito as a linebacker. It, it looks like it could be a little thin, but I honestly think there are some really good players on this uh, in this linebacking or uh, really big fan of Brian o- uh, Odom, uh, excellent linebackers coach. Jameson, who's your standout uh, as, as who's, who's your OU standout as a linebacker? Uh, Got to go back to the day one. Yeah, I was about to say, is it da- David Ogwebu? Yeah, it has to be David Ogwebu. He, the way he's just a physical specimen. And he's still learning this linebacker thing because he got recruited as a rush. We got to always remember he got recruited as a rush, transitioned to a middle linebacker about a year or so ago, and he's just picking it up like it's nothing. He's so athletic, and at his size and his height, it's going to be so crazy to see how well he does in this system with such a great D-line in front of him. You know, And he has such a great running partner next to him at the will and Brian Asamoah because Brian Asamoah is just a rocket. As soon as he's shot at, he goes and he fires up gaps and he blows up plays. David Uguegu, he can play sideline to sideline with his athleticism and stop what's going on, and Asamoah can make the hype. And plus we have depth. Like Caleb Kelly, we're not even talking about Caleb Kelly as a guy that has been a former five-star and a guy who's been in the system for a long time. He's going to get some snaps whenever those guys get tired. And, you know, we also have Deshaun White, who's a guy that we considered one of our better, if not our best linebacker at one point, whenever we were kind of down on our linebacking crew. Um, so we're, we are completely fine. And plus, we don't, also got to talk about the younger guys and Shane Witter and Clayton Smith that have also been showing out. Like this front seven – it, we have so much depth. It's going to be crazy to see how many guys that we play. Yeah, and it's, it's honestly it's just crazy to think that David Uguaybu is even a linebacker now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's wild. It's it's crazy all all that all, all that's happened. But uh, I'm excited. It's it's going to be a very intense front seven. I I fully agree with you there. Um, Ty, is this the year it finally works out for Caleb Kelly? I, so I, funny enough, I was really confused. I just tried to Google, I guess apparently Google has a new feature that's linked to like student accounts. So I was trying to Google Caleb Kelly and I was just coming up with Canvas messages and the classes he's currently enrolled in. Um, Cause I guess I'm signed in on, on my OU account, but uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that he's valuable just for, for the length of time he's, he's been in the system. I, he's almost our age. I think he's like a year younger than us, which is kind of crazy. Um, but I, I think he's important. But but like you guys talked about, and and like I kind of touched on with with the uh, D line is when it comes to defense, it's really a, a not that offense isn't a team thing, but you can't have one star that that sort of carries the the, the game because the opposing team's offense is going to find that that weak link and they're going to exploit it. Uh, as much as they can. So it's really about everyone being consistent. And I, again, like the D-line, am, am confident that we're fielding a a, a linebacking core here that is going to be, you know, maybe there's not an outstanding star, but, you know, and, and hopefully, knock on wood, we're not disappointed when it comes into, into the season. But I can't really identify a, a weak link uh, or, or someone that's outstanding as a weak link when it comes into the season. I think that that's... Than any one individual. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you there Um, for sure. All right, let's move on to what has probably been the uh, the scapegoat for years uh, of the defense, the defensive backs. Obviously, uh, Brendan Radley-Hiles no longer at OU. Um, So that, you know, depending on how you feel about him, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. But, you know, there's a lot of personnel turnover besides Spooky. You got Trey Brown uh, and uh, Trey Norwood, both have left for the NFL. So with all this turnover, do you think there's going to be some improvement? Yeah, you would hope so. Um, our front seven is very solid, and hopefully they get to the point where they can help our back end out. Um, I feel very good in our outside um, cornerbacks. Uh, you know, those were guys that showed definitely some flashes. Um, Woody Washington – the transition from safety showed that he's a ball hawk and his guy can stay with the wide receiver and turn his head like not many cornerbacks could do in the past and actually play the ball. Um, then also DJ Graham, no converted wide receiver. Here we go again. These are not com- true corners here um, coming out and playing really good ball as a young guy. And as a sophomore now should come out and have that number one cornerback position over a guy like Jaden Davis. But now we get to the points where are we a little bit shaky Nickelback, is Jeremiah Cradell going to be the starter? That is a, probably that and left tackle are the two biggest questions of who our starter is going to be. You would think Cradell would be the starter just because he knows the system a little bit better. But Billy Bowman's athleticism, the way he played and the way we saw him in the red and white game, it's just the way he, how twitchy he is. You can see he is going to be a better player than Cradell. It's just a matter of when, whenever he's going to get into the game. And then lastly, moving forward into this position, we've got to talk about the safeties. Pat Fields, DeLaren Turner-Yell, probably at the starters. Probably Pat Fields is going to be the new Buki or the new guy that we're clamoring for him to get out of the lineup, put in key fields as that uh, at that free safety position. But, he, you know, Patrick Fields is a team captain. He's a high-character guy in the locker room. It's hard to bench a guy like that. So I'm sure that's going to be a mantra moving forward. Um, but, yeah, I think that's what's going to be our starting lineup in the secondary. Okay, I like it. I like it. So, Ty, last year, I believe you said that you thought the secondary was going to be one of the strengths of the defense. How are you feeling about them this year? Okay, so that was it was kind of a cold take uh, last year. I, I will say I, I just skimmed through the OU roster. There might be an exception here uh, that I'm mistaken on, and heights can be sort of misleading when it comes to roster-listed heights, but the shortest person listed anywhere on the secondary at any level at OU is 5'10". Uh, most of them, as in like a 60-40, are over six feet tall. Uh, and that's just across the, the spectrum of secondary positions and, and then levels of play, which is really, really good because that's been a criticism of OU for a long time is, okay, we got these dudes in the secondary, but they're like bookie, they're like 5'6". So like it doesn't really matter. And then anytime he actually tries to hit someone, it's a targeting because he's having to launch. So... That's uh, that's super exciting to, to see a, a depth and height there. I think that um, I, I personally am expecting, uh, I don't want to say a lot from, from Woody Washington this year, but I think he really outperformed expectations uh, with how young he was last year. So I'm expecting that he will at a minimum meet expectations this year, which I think are, are Fairly high, but realistic. And and Woody Washington, when it comes to all the secondary, is the person I'm most excited about. 
Yeah, with Woody, he he exceeded expectations so much that you kind of wonder if there'll be a dip or a plateau or or something. But you know, you hope for improvement. Um, and his biggest thing was always, always instincts. Um, he he came up with some big plays last year. Uh, very notable uh, that interception uh, he he snagged against Sam Ellinger that should have killed that game but didn't. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think. I think he. I think he could be a, a pretty pretty good piece. Key Lawrence, of course, interesting to note um, with with his his situation at Tennessee or trying to maybe get adapted. And of course, Billy Bowman, like like Jameson said, uh, fighting for that nickelback position. But Jameson, I, I want to ask a very specific Billy Bowman question: Where would where would you put him on the field if you had uh, Lincoln Riley powers to decide whatever you? Yeah, I think that you give him a couple of games where he comes in the second quarter, plays that second rotation at the nickelback position. And if he shows out and he definitely looks by the eyeball test better than Jeremiah Cordell and Cordell is missing assignments and he messes up a couple of times, you slot in Billy Bowman and you put him in at that nickelback position. He's not the six foot two cornerbacks that we all been clamoring for, but he's an absolute stud of an athlete, a near five-star kind of guy that we have in our secondary that wants to play secondary rather than be wide receiver you know that is extremely valuable and even though he's a freshman that is a kind of guy that can be a huge cornerstone of our secondary moving forward and just brings more excitement and more of a turnover chance I understand we haven't seen much from Cadell but just the way that you know Billy Bowman plays the balls and the way we saw in the red white game and how he jumps routes and he plays aggressive would be more to what I think Alex Grinch would want in this defense so give Cadell a chance because he's earned it he's been working in the ranks for a long time but if he does show any kind of weakness or in, um, or if uh, Billy Bowman plays exceptionally well and they have no choice, you know, play him. But I would not be surprised if he's starting in the midseason. I, yeah, I, I just think Bowman physically is a specimen. And just in terms of his ability, I, I think it's best to just he, – he should get some burn at, at any position at, at some point, um, even if it's just running a couple routes to alleviate some stuff. Hell, hand the ball off to the guy at this point. He is he is a true freshman, so we gotta not over overload him. And if he's a guy that we think that comes down to our end game this year, that could be a guy could be a starting nickelback in the postseason. I don't want to overdo him. I understand some people are talking about who else could play the running back position. You know, we're trying to think of whoever could be an athlete coming out. Let Brian Darby, the you know, wire receiver do that. Don't let Billy Mobin do much. Let him completely tone it, hone in into that nickelback position. That's what he's been doing during his time here and focus on that. We don't need to put him at free safety. we got plenty of people there that can come in like a key Lawrence that can take over the Patrick Fields job. Focus on the nickelback. He could win it, and he could be there for the rest of the season. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. We've almost made it through the entire roster every position, but we got to wrap up what some believe is the most important side of the ball, the special teams. Gabe Burkich, obviously excellent. No need to talk about him there. But I gotta ask, who would you have fielding punts? I'll let Ty, I'll let you start on this. Who would you have fielding punts? Who would you have returning? And uh, do you think the special team is going to be decent this year? They kind of had a bad year if you look at the rankings overall. Could this be a rebounding year? I know we lost our guy... um, our guy, we, we lost Beamer Ball, but this, hopefully the spirit of Beamer Ball can move on, live on. Uh, Ty, who'd you, who'd you have returning punts and uh, returns, I guess? 
kick returns. Yeah, so it's, again, the main the main storyline, and, and shout out to, to Coach Beamer for moving on to South Carolina. That that's awesome. Um, he will be tremendously missed at, at OU. You know, just beyond special teams, he's. I, I think he's an excellent coach. Um, so I, I want to preface, you know, my first talk about special teams this year with with that. I, I think we all wish him the best. Uh, great person, great great coach, uh, and I think he's going to do well. Uh, personally, I, you know, I got to go, I, I got to go again with sort of a, a big time uh, primary uh, of Woody, Wa- or not with Washington, uh, Mims uh, out there returning uh, just because I think he's he's our best dude for that. Uh, I think because we have the depth, you know, there might be some some load management considerations, and I think we might see some some interesting different takes. Obviously the coaches have been a practice and, and are trained professionals uh, or at least paid professionals in, in, you know, determining these things. So I think we could see some, some interesting things when it comes to punt return because of our depth at, at receiver and, and everything else. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest special team storyline is, is the loss of, of coach Beamer on to, to bigger and better things. Uh, and I think that will impact us. I, I really do. Absolutely, I, I could I could see it, you know, being a hit for sure. Jameson, to wrap this thing up, final thoughts, uh, your your take on special teams, loss of Beamer, and uh, how you think they could make an impact this year. Yeah, I think Marvin Mims at punt returner is locked in, and you know he will get those for the first half, and then they'll maybe experiment. If you look back at just OU in general, who's been our punt returners? CD Lamb was a punt returner, even though did I think he was the most explosive athlete that I thought could break off a run for a touchdown? No, but he's a guy who's going to catch the punt and get what he needs to get done. Marvin Mims, the most reliable hands, the most reliable wide receiver, and you know next up Derek Stoops would be a type of guy that would be at the punt um, punt return. We like reliable on the return, not as much flashy. Flashy would be on the kickoff return. I think a guy that we should look at there is definitely Billy Bowman. I think Billy Bowman would be a star um, bringing back the kicks and would kind of, you know, what you were talking about, get him the ball as much as we can. Um, let him do that because, you know, kickoff return doesn't take much studying and much film, all of that. It's more so just getting it and just letting the guy go. Um, you know, other guys, the kickoff return, you know, the guys I already said, and also, you know, like a guy like DJ Graham is a, who's an athlete coming out of um, – um, that definitely could be back there as well. Uh, but I think the biggest conversation with special teams moving forward before we end this conversation, I think it is extremely blessed that OU got a transfer punter um, from Arizona State and Michael Turk. He's a senior. He's been there for a while because Reese Munchau has been less than you know great at the punting game. Probably have been our weakest position for the past couple of years because the man can barely punt it 45 yards. Michael Turk has been absolutely showing him up in camp and has easily won the job, even though he's been here for maybe a month or two. So it was very easy to take the job, and I think the staff knew that whenever they were talking to Michael Turk to get him to come over in the transfer portal. So the punt game should have an absolute uh, pickup. Um, and just moving on, you know, if we just be remiss if we didn't hit the rest of the positions. Long snapper, Casey Kelleher is still here. And I, I'm not a fan of – uh, everything that went on with Spencer Jones situation, but he is still our holder and he, um, you know, I don't know how they view him in the, in the football round nowadays after the absolute embarrassment at Logie's. Uh, I think he should be embarrassed. That's a tough go. That was a tough go for sure. I, I gotta say new punter. He is killing it on the content game, you know, showing off all the, all the, uh, the, you know, the facilities and, 
you know, some of the some of the drop of you know shoes and clothes and stuff. I, I think he's doing good, so he's putting that nil to good use. All right, let's wrap this thing up before my neighbors at this apartment tar and feather me for uh, how loud my dog's been. Thank y'all so much for listening for that, by the way. Um, anyways, all right, Jameson Ty, we have football on Saturday. I can't wait. Y'all can't wait. Final thoughts. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Ty, I'll let you start. Um, honestly, it's I, I'm just excited. I, I'm excited that, that OU football has, has come. It's been a long offseason uh, for sure, in my opinion. Uh, I'm excited for what we have in store this year. And, you know, I'm excited that we have a little treat of a surprise with a surprise home opener uh, coming up. So I think it's going to be a great weekend. And I think it's going to be a great season, regardless of the outcome. And I think it's a great time to be an OU fan. Absolutely, it is. This 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 is going to be a good year. I can't wait. I absolutely can't wait. Jameson, final thoughts. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. <laughs> it's great. No, no, no. Seriously, the biggest thing in this game, I think, is definitely the Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks. I'm absolutely excited to watch that, and then definitely the running back behind that, and then Billy Bowman on the other side of the ball. Um, everything else, we see a lot of solidarity. Um, you know, obviously, who's going to be the left tackle, but that's not too exciting. Nickelback, running back position, really fun to watch. Stay there the whole game. Students watching this, please stay as long as you can. Um, this was a blessing we even got this. And let's see this depth that we have because it's going to be key for us moving forward if you want to win a national championship. Absolutely. I can't wait. It's going to be a awesome atmosphere. Because, folks, let's be honest. Last year might have been one of the worst college football years I've ever seen. Atmosphere sucked. I know the lines were good and everything, but let's be honest, that wasn't it, – it, it kind of felt off. I was happy to have it, but this is a a great return to the sport we all love, and it is a great time to be a college football fan, excellent time to be an Oklahoma football fan, and I, I, I can't wait. I'm so jazzed to get this thing going. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, I cannot wait. I mean, this was a this is an absolute treat. I hate how it happened, but you know, I cannot wait to get back to Memorial Stadium and uh, watch the Sooners. I tell you that. So, all right, folks, that is all we have. Believe it or not, for the uh, 2021 Oklahoma football preview. Um, I would like to say we got a lot coming down your down the aisle. Uh, yeah, I, I for, have forgotten how to talk at the uh, one hour, 14 minute mark. <laughs> but we got the weekend spread coming up on Thursday. Make sure to check that out. All of our picks, all that good stuff, as well as the uh, schooner simulation coming out as well. If you remember that from last year, uh, NCAA 14, you know, sort of simulation preview, it'll be very good. We're going to be running those all season long and some more stuff coming. Up. But um yeah, I would like to thank our partners at the Pigskin Podcast Network for uh, sponsor for helping us with this show, partnering with us, and uh, can't wait to do more awesome stuff for them down the line. But yeah, folks, talking season's over. It's time for football, and I hope y'all just have an excellent college ball Saturday. James and Ty, thank y'all so much for coming on as always, and uh, looking forward to making some picks on uh, on Thursday. For sure. Yeah. 
pay attention to our sports, um, to our picks podcast. It's coming out on Thursday. It's going to be good stuff, you know. And if you actually want to listen for betting advice, you know, Ty, Bobby, and I, we have our takes, but Blake, he actually says some legitimate stuff and does really well. Obviously, his record wasn't as good as Ty and I's, but what he says, take, you know, when you can tell whenever he actually has a very serious piece of information that he dove into the weeds to get. So, yeah, definitely something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. De- definitely check that out. We got a lot of cool stuff coming. And hey, you know, for our actual, uh, see, we have a, we had a lot of stuff planned for the first home opener. So that'll be exciting as well. And, uh, you know, hey, you know, we might might sprinkle some other stuff in here along the way. Just keep tuned to, uh, you know, to, to, the, to the Schooner Pod on Twitter, at Schooner Pod, and uh, Insta, Insta Sooner or Insta Schooner at Insta Schooner on Instagram. So, all right. For me, Jameson and Ty, this has been the Schooner Pod. Um, and we will see you next week where we'll actually recap a game. I can't wait. Boomer Sooner. Have a good one.